to the Glorio Chat, the best anime podcast on the internet. I would just like to say that we remain committed to covering anime, despite uh, whatever the season is trying to do to us, uh, whether it's shows that we may or may not want to continue watching, or uh, I guess we're still getting COVID delays in 2023. That's a thing. Uh, it's almost like COVID didn't really go away. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Um, ANN put an Answer Man post up about that. I don't know if you guys saw that, but apparently so far the delays have been specifically Aniplex and shows that they've been outsourcing a lot to China, and it's like, oh, that makes... Mm, yeah, uh, that, that suddenly makes a lot of sense, huh? Makes a lot more sense, yeah. But even so, it's uh, still with us. But anyway, we do have some anime to talk about. There are still some things that we're watching. Uh, so before we get into that, introduce everybody. I'm Jell. I'm joined by Iroh. I'm still here. I'm not dead yet. Still with us. And we've got G. What's good, everyone? And we are joined by Zig. Apologies in advance. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we've got, uh, yeah... We, we're, we're settling into the winter season here. Mm -hmm. If anybody listened to our last episode, we have not necessarily been super wild about the shows that we've been uh, dealt uh -huh. this season. But mm -hmm. um, there are still I mean, some I will, things. Go ahead, I will say. say that historically, the winter season is is like normally the down season as well. You know that like people aren't lining up their blockbusters for this season for the most part. Best stuff in winter tends to be stuff continuing from fall. Mm. I mean, did, didn't we get Birdie Wing last winter? I, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I believe that was. I mean, was that spring? I, I think that was spring. A spring one. I, I thought that was. I don't spring. remember yeah. now. But anyway, um, yeah, there's still some things we're watching though. Some things we didn't get a chance to talk about yet that we'll have on here, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, let's get into it. So. Um, I guess uh, if you guys want to start with, we can catch up on Common Rider before we get into the Common anime Rider. talk. Yeah, yeah there, Rider there's not a huge, there's not a huge amount to catch up on. You know, it continues to be a a fun, solid show that they're doing sure. some interesting stuff with. They seem to have an idea on the overall direction they're going, which is a huge improvement from the last couple of mm -hmm. years. We've you not know, I mean, spoken I, about Geeks much on the podcast, but it's, yeah. been a, it's been a hot minute. Yeah, sure. So probably the big plot reveal that's happened recently is that um, before, you know, they were in a sort of Battle Royale game, and the big thing that's happened since then is that it has been revealed that actually the Battle Royale game was just televised for entertainment. So, like, previously that was that was not revealed, but now it is full-on reality TV, like, weird, mm -hmm. like, betray or ally, like, decisions. Yeah. Like, cuts Com to the audience. <laughs> yeah, com complete yeah. with, like, the is that, uh, is that a documentary good or a segments. Yeah. Is that a good it's, or bad change? It's interesting. You know, I think that they... 
they're doing a good job of keeping the premise changing so that it doesn't become boring or static, you know, because wait, obviously... Wait, so, like... So, so I'm sorry, in universe... Like in, in universe, in the universe yes. of Common Rider Geats, is this a work or a shoot? I mean, <laughs> that's a complicated question. Um, there's, like, there's certainly do, do, do the common writers know they are yeah. in a reality TV show. They now, did. They or... did not up until recent uh, episodes. So it has huh. been a reality TV show all along. But initially, okay. they thought that they were legitimately battling for the fate of the world, and they might but still be. Now. Uh, or they might. No, okay. No. <laughs> But now it is clear that it is also a TV show. Like, we don't exactly know who the audience for the TV show is. Like, there's been some oblique hints that the audience members we've seen, like, might be extra-dimensional beings of some sort. One of them is literally just a statue of a frog, which is extremely funny. It's not a a human TV show. It's a production put on by the, the evil villain for his own amusement or something. Well, I mean, like... All of the all of the producers look human, but uh, it certainly seems that they have a greater agenda, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, and again, you know, the TV show might also still legitimately be for the fate of the world. Like the bit where it's like, if you win the if you win the contest, you have your wish granted, has not changed. Um, right. And also, they're like breeding inhuman monsters in a greenhouse somewhere that might be in another dimension. So there's a lot of moving parts happening, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of messy, but like I said, it's interesting. They're, they're making sure to keep changing the premise up yeah. to keep, keep everything interesting. So, like, which I, I'm appreciating because the past few common writers, we've complained uh, um, that, like, they will have a premise at the beginning and then we're like somehow wrap that premise up too early. And then sunlight's kind of about something else that's tangentially related to the original premise. And because of the way Geats is set up as this, like in context, as almost a seasonal sort of thing, they can, they can do that and have it work as part of the plot. Cause like they, they've created the setup that allows that to happen. Because like yeah. we've, we're we're like three quote unquote seasons in to the Desire Grand Prix at this point, and it lets them like change out the plot beats and lets them like rotate the cast some, and it's been interesting. Yeah, and you know it's it's very unclear if they will be able to stick the landing. To be clear, we're not even halfway into the show <laughs> yet because right. again, these are year long runs, but but it. It definitely feels like that for like they have a plan, which is not something you could really say about a lot of the a lot of the shows in the past couple of years. And you know, the recurring cast are generally good. There are some legitimately funny bits and some legitimately cool action bits and, and you know, you can't it it's difficult to say where it's going, but I'm enjoying the ride and that's about all you can ask for really, right? Right. And that's better off than some previous conrads have have managed so yeah absolutely so uh common writer's still good again huh for now, for now. Well, i mean we we're, we're coming <clears throat> hot off of uh, black sun being on our top 10 list right, right? that's true right but so it, that's yeah, that's its <laughs> own entity i know but yeah yeah and then well 
some semi-relatedly there there's a new super sentai due in, in about a month a month and change so so we'll we'll ch- we'll check back on that in a yeah. month um also of course 2023 uh the year that theoretically shin Kamen rider should come out so uh mm-hmm. we'll have to see but they're probably going to be stepping up the uh pr cycle for that thing in the near future so big year for Kamen rider another thing to keep an eye on indeed Okay, well, let's uh, move along then into our anime talk with a couple shows that we, a couple sequels we hadn't had a chance to talk about yet. Mm-hmm. And we'll start with uh, Vinland Saga, which is back. Yeah. Something yes, actually season two. good. Vinland Saga. Yeah. Yes, we are, uh, we are now fully into what is colloquially known by fans as Farmland Saga. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is all this has already generated one hot meme on social media, so you know, has I'm, uh, but, uh, high expectations. Yeah, um, you know, just as a quick, you know, as a quick uh, synopsis for those who don't remember, uh, Vinland Saga is the is an adaptation of the famous seinen manga by the same name about Thorfinn, uh, who uh, is a young man living in the early one thousands of Europe, and. Uh, you know, basically goes on a quest to avenge his father's death, and uh, as a result, kind of interacts with many uh, notable figures from this time period. You know, various Vikings and you know uh, English lords and such. And um, yeah, so season two sort of picks up where season one ended. Where I mean, look, we're talking about a sequel here, so we're got to spoil mm-hmm. some things. But basically, uh, the object of Thorfinn's revenge, the thing that had driven him for the last ten years. Uh, is killed not by his hand, and uh, in his anguish and grief, uh, lashes out at uh, Prince, now King Canute, and uh, as a result is uh, uh, enslaved for his crimes. And season two sort of opens up by uh, kind of doing, you know, what, doing something pretty neat to sort of set the tone for how season two will differ, which is by introducing our deuteragonist, Einar, uh, an Englishman who in the first episode, uh, his village is attacked by the Danes. Uh, his mother and sister are murdered and he too is now enslaved and sort of kind of creates an intentional like parallel with the first few episodes of season one with Thorfinn's backstory is is this new guy also out for revenge? Like, is that now his primary motivation? So that's kind of the fun thing about what okay. season two does, is that Einar is not the son of a Viking lord. He is not a born right. fighter. An English you know, farmer, he's, right. He's a farm boy. And he, he, when he after he's enslaved, he does try to escape multiple times. But, you know, unfortunately in this era, that usually doesn't work out for you. And so he is... Uh, fully enslaved in the first episode. And it's sort of meant to serve as a kind of intentional contrast to Thorfinn, where, uh, you know, Thorfinn's worst day, the worst day of Thorfinn's life, the death of his father, sort of sends him down this very dark, violent path of vengeance, right? Where he sort of becomes personally culpable in the deaths of dozens, if not hundreds of people, all to some degrees, probably as innocent or wronged as he is, but in his sort of single-minded quest for revenge, he becomes the monster he thinks 
he must become to to avenge his father. Meanwhile, Einar, uh, very pointedly, uh, his family, his his father was also actually killed by uh, by raiders and pillagers ten years prior to the events of the season, the second season, and very pointedly, his family kind of espouses the belief that no matter like how bad of a hand you are dealt, that survival is is the most is is the ultimate revenge right to survive and to prosper in spite of great tragedy is the greatest thing you can do to get back at those who have wronged you and this sort of informs einar's philosophy in contrast to thorfinn's and uh you know through narrative happenstance the two slaves end up working at the same plantation uh under a uh Andre sort of a, I think he is a, I think he is a Danish lord, a Danish um, landowner named Kettle, who sort of, you know, is framed as sort of a more, you know, by the standards of his time, a more uh-huh. benevolent master. But the show never forgets that at the end of the day, uh, it's a slave owner. He is still a slave owner, and these men are still fully obligated to obey whatever he demands of them. You know, even if he happens to ask a little bit more nicely than maybe some other slave owners of this time period. And that's kind of where Vinland Saga opens up with, you know, mm-hmm. the protagonist of season one meeting, uh, I guess, in many ways, the protagonist of season two, and uh, both trying to. Make the best of being uh, under mm-hmm. chattel slavery. So, just yeah. just from listening to this summary, obviously, it very much sounds like they spent season one like building up to kind of a a big bloody conclusion. And this sounds very much like a a we're going to take it back back down, put your feet on the ground arc. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, I would definitely say so. Yeah. yeah, like in many ways, season two of Inland Saga is very much an intentional status quo reset of a sort, right? Like, you know, Thorfinn has lost his entire reason for revenge. You know, he is a very, you know, he's dead inside. He is a broken man in season two. Like, he has fully given up, I suppose, Mm -hmm. right? Like, he has fully accepted his lot in life now as, as a slave, as a laborer. And this then intentionally contrasts with Einar, who has not lived necessarily who who has endured tragedy but not the sort of you know the sort of truly mythic level of tragedy that that Thorfinn has experienced and so Einar is still a bit of an idealist uh Einar fundamentally looks at the shape of the world the world that killed his family that enslaved him and you know, despite being a peasant, despite being, you know, as as common of a man as one can be in this time period, he looks at the world, and most importantly, he wonders why it has to be this way. And that spark of idealism is sort of going to be the thing that carries season two forward into the plots that it develops. Yeah, I mean that sounds. I mean, we, we kind of talked about this when uh, season one was airing, G, because you've you've read the manga, you kind of know what's happening, right? So, 
I guess just the, the, the shift that we've taken is kind of what you were telling us where we were headed, right? Where, where yeah. it's not, this is, this is not just like violent Viking show, right? Like there's a like lot it, more. It is definitely still that to some degree, but like, yes, yes, but it's, like, but is... there's, but there's, you know, I guess purpose and intention. I was, it, um, it. I was quite intrigued by your men- mention of King Canute for the, who, for listeners who don't know, is a genuine, real historical figure. Yes, yes, he like, is. <laughs> how much of the uh, how much of the appeal here is kind of a, a certain sense of historical tourism, and I don't say that as a negative because to me that would be the interesting part about a show like this. You know, is there are these characters interacting with the great and good of the day? You know, are they becoming involved in the pivotal it, events of the time? Isn't Thorfinn also a historical figure? Like, I mean, yes, he he is. The, yeah. what, is he the writer or is he just the primary chronicler of the actual real thing called the Vinland Saga? Oh, okay. I did not know that. Uh, I just I assumed they took the name. So. I think that yes. I think that might be a, a different Thorfinn. <laughs> it's yes, difficult. Yes. I mean, put, put it this way. He is not as famous as Canute, who is one of the most mm-hmm. famous Viking figures of, of the period. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, I guess to answer your question, Zig, I, I would say that probably some... I would say an undeniable appeal of Vinland Saga is probably sort of its, you know, anime historical tourism, right? Like, it is, like, while the individual events of of Vinland Saga are often very, you know, anime over the top, right? Like, you know, mm. you know Thorfinn is out here double shanking dudes with knives and fighting, like, you know, eight foot tall Viking berserker warrior gods, right? But, like, in terms of the actual, like, kind of, like, moment-to-moment portrayal of this time period, I think that is a lot of the appeal of Vinland Saga is, like, very much how, like, broadly grounded it feels. Like, like I don't want to go as far as, say, authentic. You know, I mean, King mm-hmm. Knut is portrayed as sort of a bishonen um <laughs> right you know yeah. uh, a anime boy. Sort of figure pretty but, boy but but, but like working actual, like, within working within history kind of gives you an outer limit to how insane you can be right and sometimes it's fun to have that restriction and then kind of try and fit things around it i, I definitely think so like in a lot of ways like i think i think you know i mean boy anime sure has a really fraught relationship with the concept of slavery but um mm. you know i think the thing that, that is in many ways interesting about this arc of vinland saga is like there really isn't going to be a like dramatic prison break sequence here you know like this isn't going to be like you know this ain't going to be spartacus like like chattel slavery was for many people in this time period their their final fate in life, right? And I mean, this and is a show that does not shy away from like understanding that, like for many people, this is all they will ever know for the rest of their lives. And uh, even Spartacus come to reality in the end. So, yes, um, yes, <laughs> yeah. You know, I I think that's interesting. You know, obviously, this is like genuine, authentic medievalism is not something you see a huge amount of in anime, and you know, I think that 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 instantly makes makes this kind of like an interesting setting and an interesting approach for a show to go for. Yeah, I, I, I'm i very much glad we f- we're finally here. Like, I do genuinely enjoy what season one of Vinland Saga covered, but it is sort of why I kept saying time and time again that, like, season one has to happen 
it has to be as like explicitly violent and cruel right. as it is to set up where season two intends to go thematically. Right. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't. You know, as 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 the. Uh, I mean, I have nothing to add. Right. Like, I have nothing to add. You you laid it all out there. Uh, all I can say is I'm enjoying it as somebody who has not read the manga, but I mean I don't have context necessarily for what happens later, so. I cannot give a a <laughs> an emotional uh, spiel on it, but it's good. I'm enjoying as far it as as far yeah. as just someone just watching the anime. It's, right, it's still yes. good. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's still the manga is still going, right? It is still going. Yes. Yeah, but um, I mean, yeah, it's good. It's uh, <laughs> it's 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 uh, seinen manga anime that's you know not super shitty about you finally got things. a good adaptation <laughs> of a legendary long-running seinen from the 90s <laughs> sure. yeah those are often pretty hit and miss right but yeah yeah gun pictures says hi uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah anyway well i'm glad there's something that is like legit good going on this season um because yeah, there. As mm-hmm. we'll see on this list, there are a lot of things we're watching, but there's always, I feel like, some kind of asterisk on it, or it's yeah. just you know fine or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, which I guess leads us into the rest of this list. Um, another returning show uh, that I was <laughs> I was on the fence about watching this. I was like, let me see if there's Damn. nothing else. If there's nothing else going on this season. I'll watch it, and that is uh, Bofuri, I Don't Want to Get Hurt, so I'll max out my defense, season two. I'm going to try not to think about the fact that it's been three years since season one aired. Uh, I, I I did watch that. I did watch season one, and I enjoyed it. Um, and just uh, as a reminder, since it's been three years, this is uh, a show that I would broadly put into the comfy lesbian isekai genre. Wait, you're oh. telling me a show with that title is Isekai? I am shocked. However, <laughs> I tell the, you. It, it, it is a slightly different vibe because, yes, they are playing a video game, but they are literally playing a video game. They're not trapped in it. They don't die. If they die in the game, they don't die in real life. There's actually parts of the animated occasionally where they're not in the video game. It's not like, you know, it's not like they're in the, it's not like it's the thing where it's like, it's a video game and you just never think about the fact that it's a video game ever again. And they actually kind of play around with the fact that it's a video game a lot. Like the dev is trying to patch and uh, things to nerf the main girl's abilities or like, you know, the trying to get their crew together for like the, to do like the day one raid completions when the new areas come out and stuff like that. Like that's the kind of like minutia that I felt like added, added a lot to like lock horizon early on that right in that like it's not just trapped in a video game it's like it's a video game so we have to include all of this actual game stuff yeah in it because that's how it would be and because they're not trapped and their life is not on the line it's just like (laughs) a bunch of people having fun playing a video game yeah i mean what did did romba rall say uh it's because it's Uh because they're toys that we can can take we can take it seriously so yeah (laughs) is so a question then is this disguised as an isekai show but actually a cute girls doing cute stuff show like that kind that kind of 
kind of is what it sounds like. Um, it, I would say it's not one disguise as the other, as it's maybe a bit of both. And then ah, there's also like, good. there's also like, I kind of forgot it's, there's a lot of action in it. Huh. <laughs> like, okay. because it's a video game, they're like constantly fighting like all the time. Like that's the point of the game, right? So sure. like, they're pretty much constantly fighting all the time. And then there's like some, there's, you know, occasionally little breaks in between when they're there's like, a new the ra- there's a new raid. We got to do the weekly raid every week. Right. So we can increase our level. And Get and even the if they're equipment. not like, even if they're not like explicitly in an action scene, like, everything is like built around how do I get more powerful to get to the next, you know, boss or whatever. Like, right. so I mean, in an actual MMO, you were just t- shooting the shit while you are punching mobs one, t- yeah. 1000 times. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it, and it is fun that they, they, they never lose sight of that aspect of it. Like some of the things that have happened in season two of like at the end of season one, like, so like the main girl, the main girl is the, you know, the, the all maxed out defense girl. And then she, she got into the game because of her uh, her uh, pro gamer girlfriend, basically. And they're, they're like the two of them are like <laughs> invincible, but like they start their own guild and they're not the, they're not the top guild. They're like up and coming guild. So there's like, I think, like two other guilds that are higher than them. And then like there's this at the end of season one, they show down. They have like a showdown with like the top guild or whatever. And like one of the girls who's like one of the like the main leaders of the top guild is like this like you know stone cold badass like leader commanding her troops and all that and like we find out in season two like she's just like normally this very like quiet soft-spoken person and she's just role-playing because it's a video game and everybody likes it when she does that (laughs) does that so Mm -hmm. like it's very humanizing i guess but um I don't know. It's, it doesn't sound like that's that big of a difference, but it does kind of make a big difference in the like the, just the general tone of the show. It's just a lot more fun, I think. Right. But, um, yeah, the only thing I would say about season two, which is a bit odd, is you know, th- this is based on a light novel series, of course. Uh-huh. And of I course. feel like they're crammed, they crammed a lot of material into the first like three episodes or so. So uh-huh. like for some perspective, like whenever new content content comes out, they, they just say it's the next level. So like, you know, you had right. That's season, the new patch. That added yeah, the so thing. Season, season one was like level one through three. Right. Mm-hmm. And they went through levels four through six <laughs> in the first two to two episodes i think okay huh. oh you see as the game gets older you have to adjust the power curve yeah and, so, and there was a lot of like <laughs> mon- there was like a lot of like montaging through them clearing the level okay. or whatever and i'm like i don't i, I don't know what the, maybe they have something specific they're trying to like get to get before to. this yeah. season ends or whatever i i don't have any other context for that but it's just a bit odd that they feel like they've been rushing a lot in season two so far but um yeah, I mean it, it's it's a fun show. I am I'm, I'm glad I'm glad I picked it back up because I think I kind of yeah. forgot how much fun I had with the first season, mm-hmm. and you know watching it again, I'm like oh yeah, this is a pretty fun show. So, um, and yeah. you know I think it does just enough to kind of make it distinct from other things in the genre. Sure. Yeah. It's... I guess speaking of. <laughs> yeah. Right. Our other uh, like what. Lesbian, comfy isekai. lesbian isekai show. Sure. Um, are, are you still watching this, Iroh? No, 
Okay, I'm still I'm still watching it actually. <laughs> uh, well, we know you're a sucker for punishment, so. Uh, so we're talking about the the magical revolution of the reincarnated princess and the genius young lady, which I don't I still don't know what the actual short title is supposed to be for that. I'm sure there is one, but uh, I I kind of like it. I'm I'm surprised because I think I so like am it. I. I think I like it more after four episodes than I did like maybe from the first episode. I I would kind of almost more describe this as a straight up Yuri as a genre type show. Sure, like, okay. It, it is very specifically focused on the main couple and their relationship and like their character development. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not nearly as like wacky and lighthearted as I was expecting. <laughs> like they actually try to um, seriously address some of the issues and the the character developments that are going on. Do, like, do we think this is another one of those shows? And this has been a trend in recent years. Is this is a this is a good story that we had to dress up in an isekai dressing to make it remotely marketable. Well, the, well, the thing is, like, it is constructed out of isekai, existing isekai tropes. Right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so. I, I'm still hesitant to say. Like, it's not like an amazing story, but like they are making some effort on like actually having the characters deal with the things that are going on. Like, for example, the. I don't, I don't remember their names. I'm going to be honest with you. So like the main girl is the, the princess and then the, her girlfriend slash wife, I guess at this point uh, is the, the genius young lady. Right. So the mm-hmm. genius young lady was originally betrothed to her brother and her brother broke off the engagement because he was in love with another woman. And then she now, so now she just like, doesn't know what to do with herself. And there's a lot of like, very uh i guess introspective you know what is my purpose here now and all that talk and it's it's you know they they actually engage with it rather than just like okay we're going to cut straight to the you know easygoing slice of life bits which i thought we were getting to and i don't know if that's even the direction they're going now at this point but um yeah so it's been a, a, a bit of a different direction than i was expecting and like the episode four ends with them. They're going to have to go fight a dragon now, I guess. And her like, of course, her brother is like trying to start like an actual revolution, <laughs> I uh-huh. think. And there's there's actually there's actually things going on. So uh, political drama. It, it's a, it's I guess there's a bit more substance to it than I was ever <clears throat> expecting, even though I would not necessarily say it's like great, but. I'm, I'm going to um, go out on a limb here and say that when they either the dragon turns into a girl or <laughs> they kill the dragon and there there's a somewhat extended segment of how all these dragon parts can be used for well, nice magical tools. Oh, well, we no, that's, that's that's why she wants to kill the dragon because yeah, okay. yep. for her right. magic tools. Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I don't think I don't dragon think we're materials. Gonna, yeah, their their magic crystal inside is just so big. Yeah. So. Um, cause that's, that's the main, the main girl, the princess's thing is she makes like magic tools and weapons and things mm-hmm. instead of being a proper princess. Isn't that so wacky? Because she is reincarnated from Japan and knows all of the things, yes. right? She knows what like yes. a, like a tea kettle and a microwave 
hair, hair dryer. Mayonnaise. So she makes magic items patterned off of those things. Yes. Uh-huh. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still enjoying it. I think I'm part of it is just maybe me being surprised that there's more to it than I was expecting, but mm-hmm. I'm still hesitant to say it's like really good and everybody should watch it. I just, you know, again, if this were another season, I probably wouldn't still be watching it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's good enough. Appar- apparently the abbreviations here are uh Maji Revo. Okay. I have seen that. Uh-huh. And then there's 1010 because it's Tensei Ojo and Tensei Rejo. So it's 1010. Yeah, I don't know about that one. But hey, the internet wants what it wants. Hey, we can just we can just slap this one with the old uh for fans of the genre. <laughs> and uh Yeah, well, I, I that's the thing. Like I don't I I I don't even know if I don't know. It it's covering it's like mashing together a bunch of mm-hmm. different things into it. But right. Is it good? It's okay. That's all Sometimes I can, that's enough. That's all I can. That's all I can give you on that. Right. It's all not right. bad. Right. Well, well, I guess is is the. It's it's good enough. It's good enough for me to watch. Sure. Personally. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, speaking of shows that are for some reason <laughs> good enough for me to watch, I'm, I'm kind of well, surprised you. You're still watching. Uh, Tomo Chan uh, is a girl. I, I don't know, man. I is we're, it just inertia are, at this point? These are hard times. So we're, is uh, Tomo Chan still man. a girl? Some sort of Manchurian <laughs> candidate in house. Like you know, the anime minds are are pretty empty this season. We gotta bear. we gotta take whatever we can find. Mm-hmm. They yeah. hit your trigger phase, your activation. Exactly. Uh, I don't know, man. Tomo Chan is a girl. Is yes, yeah, spoiler. She continues to be a girl. Um. She's doing her best, I'm sure. She's trying her best, yes. Um, I don't know. This, this show continues, just, continues to just be sort of the, yeah, like not not offensive, not bad, but just sort of by the numbers ensemble rom-com that it is. Um, you know, like, I guess, like, I don't know, like, I, I guess if I'm being, like, sort of like generous to the show it's like i guess i could sort of appreciate the ways in which like it treats like i guess especially you know despite the, the stated aim of the eponymous tomo chan is to win over win the affections of her her childhood friend a, a large focus of the show is kind of just on like you know like the particulars of female friendship female companionship and like you know, like entirely unrelated to like romantic, like you know, pursuits, right? Like a lot, a lot of the plots of you know, a lot of the like, I guess I don't know, vignettes, you know, <laughs> I don't know, bits of, right, of Tomo yeah. Chan is like her hanging out with her like friend Gundo, who is like the dour resting bitch face friend. Like Everybody the, I've spoken to about this show says she's the best character. She probably is. Like even for some like me who is watching this show because of Tomo. Gundo mm-hmm. is probably the actually more interesting character because she's kind of a deadpan shit talker. And all right, okay. You know, so like okay. a lot of the, you know, quote unquote antics of the show are related to like, oh, you know, Gundo is going to, you know, intentionally mislead Tomo or tease her about a thing. And that's going to, you know, because that's her way of trying to push Tomo closer to, to June, her childhood friend. And, uh, 
but I can also kind of appreciate that there's like, you know, like, for example, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm really, I'm really digging deep here, guys. But, uh, <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to like say something interesting about this show. Like, I don't know, the latest episode, like there's a, you know, there's like a subplot about like, you know, I don't know, I guess as they put it, female skinship, right? Mm, like Tomo mm. wishes she could be the kind of girl who like can hug her friends and like, and, and you know what? I'll, I'll you know say I'll, I'll give it credit where it's due, right? Like this a desire of like oh to just be like more like physically intimate with your friends, and I don't mean in the like groping boobs kia okay. way, but I just mean in the way of like you know physically interacting with your friends, right? Like hugging them, clasping them on the shoulder, you know, like being physically there for your friends, right? And and Tom, I mean, gosh. I was just going to say that also might be like more of a resonant point in Japan, a society that perhaps has a slightly greater taboo against physical displays of affection. Right. That's that's a good point as well. Right. And like Tomo is kind of like it's she, again, not even from like a romantic like angle. She's just like, damn, I wish I could like, I don't know, like hug my friends more often, you know, but right, you know, and. You know, long story short, she like. Figure out a way. I figures out a way to get past her like weird hangups about it. It to be more like, you know, physically intimate with her friends, and do they you know, do, a, do they do a hackney joke about like? But you'll crush them with your giant brutish strength, Tomo. I mean, yes. Yeah, so that is sort of where the joke is. I'm like, haha, she's so strong. Like, uh-huh, and it's about right. her having to learn how to be a little mm-hmm, bit, you mm-hmm. know, give everybody a slightly softer touch, you know. And yeah. I guess it culminates in like. You know, because Gundo, and this is the thing I can, I can almost appreciate, right? It's like Gundo is the too cool for school, snarky, deadpan, shit talker friend, right? And so she's initially like, oh, well, you know, you're not going to do that with me. I don't want any, I don't want to, anything to do with it. I'm too cool for it, right? And then after a whole day of like Tomo being more like physically friendly with all of her other friends, like. No, she mm-hmm. feels left out. She feels left out, and like so, she's kind of cold towards Tomo, and it kind of culminates in Gundo finally admitting, "Okay, fine. I, I, I also want to be hugged by my best friend." And it's like, All right. "Sure, okay, yeah." Heart, just heartwarming like, tales of friendship. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, whatever. It's so basic, but it's just like whatever. Like the 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 fact that like I don't know these friends are settling their minor squabbles through the ways friends solve them which is by talking to each other is like <laughs> oh sure okay i can appreciate that yeah no i i get what you're saying though because these shows can get so like one track minded like anything that gets off of the like she has a crush on this boy and that's the only point the, the entire point of the show is can be refreshing right like, i mean on honestly i think that most of the more notable shows of this type in recent years have been good because they have worked out they can focus on something other than the main couple for a while right like but the problem there is that then you perhaps begin to feel that the main uh, thrust of the show is peripheral to the things you actually enjoy about it i think it's quite a hard um balancing right. act to keep that in check and also in the case of tomo chan is a girl i've only seen a couple of episodes because i dropped that shit but um but it, it suffers from what I describe as the why question about anime romances, which is why is she interested in this guy? He's so <laughs> like he's such a prick. Like there's yeah, just no I, believability to to right. that relationship. I, I will say there's like one kind of interesting like interpersonal quirk of the relationship that I thought was kind of interesting in in the most recent episode, which is like 
so okay, so basically it starts off with a plot of they introduce Tomo's hot mom, uh, who is oh. basically just Tomo but a milf. <laughs> and uh <laughs> what? I don't know what else to say. I mean, man. yeah, I mean, I saw some tweet that was like okay, so I haven't actually watched the show. I saw some tweet that was just like they the creators of that uh series will give themselves away when Tomo's mom shows up and it's just by Ken from Guilty Gear. Kinda, yeah, yeah, like like kinda similar countenance. I mean, does she have like, an eye patch? No, but she Tomo's mom is very much intended to be, sort of be read as what if like a delinquent girl grew up and became a mother? Right. Um, and, okay. You know. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, okay. They, okay. Anyways, so the plot line. The only reason why I'm even bringing this up is because like you know Tomo's dad is like a Heihachi looking hardcore karate man. Sure. Uh, and like he's mm-hmm. like super like you know hot blooded and man yeah you know, all that cliche shit right. How but, much like, throwing they, people into volcanoes? Is not enough. No, honestly, not enough. There is enough uh, beating their own children, though. But that's okay, because Tomo also knows karate, so it's fine. But um, uh, uh, <laughs> a- mm-hmm. anyway, so they just do the joke, right, if Tomo's dad turns into, like, a total kitten when, when her mom shows up, right? Like, he's, like, yes. 40, 50 years old, and he's still, like, absolutely smitten by her, you know, like, very... Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. very, very like, still like, you know, it's like, oh, he's like fifty and he's still in his money honeymoon phase over his wife, right? Ultimate wife guy shit, right? Yeah. And like, Tomo is like talking with June, and Tomo is like, ugh, like that's so cringy. Like, I, I don't know why my dad is still like that around my mom. And June kind of like has a bit where he's like, do you like, do you not think it's admirable for a for a guy to? <laughs> be that affectionate with with the woman he likes he loves and you could tell that this is sort of a probing question because maybe deep down he also wants to sort of be that like ridiculous wife guy he wants to be wife guy yeah he wants to be a wife guy to tomo and tomo's like yeah nah that's cringe and june kind of just looks away and is like yeah yeah, that's <laughs> it's super cringe. God damn it, Tomo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Showing affection. Yeah, super cringe, bro. And it's I don't know, it kinda it's like, oh, okay. Like in many ways, despite Tomo's like, you know, t- despite Tomo's frustration that ah, oh, why won't June pay attention to me? This episode kind of gets at, oh well, in some ways Tomo kind of is her own worst enemy in in this regard. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she is her behavior inadvertently sort of pushes away people. And I don't know if they'll go anywhere with that. Maybe that'll be some character development you'll have to go through later. But, you know, look, I'm trying to glean whatever I can out of this goddamn show. So. Uh-huh. Uh, well, it's a, yeah. this is another one we're just going to say it's good enough. <laughs> For fans point. of the genre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you're very specific genre, G. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's move along and talk about. I guess this this one kind of came a little out of nowhere. But yeah, the, mm. the the fire hunter. So uh, I, I looked at this one because I was seeing some decent word of mouth, and it's uh, appears to be based on a novel, not a light novel. Ah, what are these? Uh, and uh, I thought it was pretty interesting, if a bit shaky, on the production end. Uh, oh, yeah. Can you can the, you explain the, yes. the the gist of it? Yeah. So this takes place in a sort of sort of a post apocalyptic ish world. 
sort of Japan. It's a more realistic take yeah. on that trope, I would the, say. The idea is that some time ago, many, many, many years ago, like something occurred, a change occurred, which caused humans to uh, be combustible. Ah, they... Promare. <laughs> if humans, <laughs> would, 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 would jokes, yes, but, uh... <laughs> if humans go near fire, they burn alive from the inside oh, out. Okay, and uh, so society collapsed, etc. And uh, yeah, people because live if in you if you think about it a bit, fire mm-hmm. is super important for like almost everything. Right. We do. Wait, wait. So, I've, so is it is it just mm-hmm. if you touch fire, or if, like you're just being near fire, just near just it? Being, yeah. Yeesh, all right. Yeah. Well, that so, is a problem. The, the particulars are not really important. What is important is that this is a society that can no longer have fire. Okay. Right. Okay. Except for there are creature like demonic creatures that are like animals, but fiends, large, fiends flame fiends, they call them. Mm-hmm. And the only f- safe source of fire is basically their blood can like combusts and gives off fire. And so fire hunters have to hunt these creatures and, you know, drain their blood and, uh, you know, bring it to civilization and settlements and such. I mean, that does sound interesting. Like, that that is a premise. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I found most interesting about this was that the depiction of, like like Iroh said, it's not exactly post-apocalyptic. It is sort of post-post-apocalyptic, if that makes sure. sense. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Society has re-emerged, but there is a much greater strata between, like, levels of existence now. Like, um, because, like, the stuff we see initially and the stuff, like, um, where our first protagonist comes from is kind of like, this is almost kind of like medieval era japan like people are like living in in like mud houses and and like wearing sandals and and it's all very pre-industrial revolution but there still exist big cities where like electricity still exists and you know there are there are parts of society that are perhaps not as advanced as as humanity was before the fall but they're doing okay you know and so you have this very sort of like marked contrast between parts of society mm-hmm. i i guess maybe i you know just maybe you know the 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 petty world builder in me is is asking this yeah. question but i guess because because based on what you describe of oh they have to harvest the blood from these these beasts right like yeah uh-huh. is is are, are these beasts like supernaturally like powerful because yes I guess, yes they okay, seem to be yeah because I was gonna say, well, if you if you if you've already like sort of rebuilt yourself back to like basic level industrialization, I was like, wouldn't you just have like the military hunting? You know, like like you know, like like uh, like whaling mm-hmm. in the eighteen hundreds, right? Like, yeah, wouldn't, so, wouldn't people just be harvesting these animals? So, like, fire kill? fire hunter is a job in this society. Okay. Right. Like, there are fire, and you know, the beasts have something supernatural about them, but they are not magic in that sense mm. like they just seem to be for the moment at least obviously we are early on but at the moment they just seem to be like very aggressive and dangerous right. wild animals because i mean like could it could you could you like sh- could you like shoot one like with a regular gun and like would that work or is it i mean guns do a... not exist because of course uh, yes. they involve <laughs> fire uh, right there's yeah. a guy who has a like 
steam powered ballista attached to oh, their their like train. Yeah. Abilities. And like bows and crossbows and stuff. But like right, 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 firearms yes. in general do not appear to be a major thing. Like there's like like I said, there's like pneumatic weapons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But people aren't going around waving pieces at each other. I see. Yeah. So I... there seems to be two like separate plot lines that will converge at some point. And one is that um a young girl uh, named Toko uh, in a rural village was was out and about in the woods and came across a fire hunter fighting a beast and he died protecting her and so the village uh, leave leaving his uh, his hound and his sickle and so the village uh, her village is like well you're clearly cursed. You caused the death of like such an important individual in our society, and uh, his belongings say that he was from the capital. So take his stuff, and you have to bring it back to the capital. Get out of our hair. So sort of she, an implied death sentence. Yeah, kind of. And so she gets onto one of the like you know biannual biannual caravan steam train things. Uh, like it, it's on. Like I want to shout it out because it's a cool design. It's it's a land based screw travel device. So it has enormous uh, like screw it's like, the, it's propellers. like a like the fucking Fire Nation thing. No one episode. Yeah. <laughs> or like uh, yeah, it's cool. Like and that basically they're like these big tanks almost that are going around and they're like old timey caravans. You know, right. they visit, they loop around all the villages. They bring goods. They bring. So- like transport mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, so, so I have to ask then, like, because I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, premise alone, I'm, I'm super interested mm-hmm. in this. I'll, I'll probably check it out. It is. You said, you said it feels like it's standing on shaky ground. Right. Is there a reason why, despite how interesting this premise is, you feel like maybe it doesn't? There's so something there's missing a, here. There's a couple of things, but the big problem is production quality it's ah, really hmm. struggling you know you hate it, to see it yeah so it has you know i think that the style they've chosen is quite pretty actually it's got a kind of streaky not like painting style but kind of like a very dark murky palette um oh okay that, i think kind is... of oh okay i I, I think I vaguely remembered hearing about this. I didn't know this yeah. was this season. So I think the reason why you guys are talking about this art style is because uh, the art is being done by Akihiro Yamada, who was the character designer for Twelve Kingdoms and uh, Razafon. Right. And yeah. uh, he's sort of a right. famous... He's a, he, he's a right. very yes, famous illustrator. Connection. He's a yeah. very famous illustrator, mainly from the 90s. He did a lot of like really iconic fantasy artwork in the 90s. Like He did a ton of the covers for um, the Wizardry games. <laughs> um, he did he did the cover for rondo of blood <laughs> oh hell yeah and the box and, art so you know yeah. i huh. i think that i think that the style and the look of the show is generally quite good and you know i think that the steampunky stuff looks good and also kind of like that the murky more primitive stuff looks good but they are clearly working with such a limited amount of money. Oh, no, I mean, I, I, I can see that, right? Like, I mean, yeah. like, Yamada's style is sort of famous for its very, like, I mean, he's Complex. a he, he's yeah. 90s-era manga yes. artist, so that very much that, like, hand-drawn, like, <clears throat> right. intricacy yeah. and So, and occasionally and... it will just go straight up into, like, manga panels, like, just, like, super elaborate 
very right. detailed, lovely looking panels, but static images. Right, and I think that's the know. issue, right? Is that that type of art, unfortunately, kind of needs either a large budget or staff to to pull. And it off you well. know, Razefon famously was a very expensive production. But, yes, um, <laughs> but but the thing is, like, even in like the basics of this show are not good. Like the characters do Man. not move well. At the end of episode two, there's a sequence where they're attacked by a fire beast, and it looks bad. Um, and it's a real shame because like for a lot of it they can get away with it right because it is it's a slow dark story where kind of like a sort of muddy murky visual style actually pays dividends in terms of enhancing the atmosphere but whenever anything sort of vaguely actiony has to happen it sort of falls apart a little and and i think that's the biggest problem that's unfortunate that is a shame it sounds like you know it's a visual medium, right? Like, you know, right, no matter yes. how telling of a premise you have, like right. if the visuals fail you, you know, it's 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 too bad because we have like fascinating. It's too bad because we have all these other sh- garbage shows that look nice, right? <laughs> like Yeah, hell, let's take the next show on our list and give <laughs> its <right>. budget <laughs> to, to, to the fire hunter, right? Like let, let, get Studio Wit or PA works on the phone, all right? Like All right. Let's talk about Buddy Daddies. Um for all the uh, buzz this was getting uh, pre-season, both good and bad, I haven't really heard anyone say anything about it once it started airing. Yeah, so I think we, we were all kind of hesitant on it on the first, uh, I think only the first episode was out when we talked about it last time. At the time. To, and now that somehow they're up to episode four, I don't know how that worked, but... Oh, no, we watched um, two. There were two. There were two out the last time we talked about it. Okay, you know what? I had only watched the first episode. Yes, because I remember going on my toilet rant. Okay, yes, right, that's yes. right. Yes, so now I understand because <laughs> I've seen all of them. Um, I think uh, if you guys didn't watch episode three and four, episode three and four has validated my theory that the the whole Hitman angle adds absolutely nothing to the show and you can just take it out and it's a better show. Because oh man, <laughs> that's what they do. There are no, I, I actually Is it because like they failed their assignment in episode two, and so they're just not Hitman anymore. Now they're just now they are merely buddy daddies. They do actually try a job in episode three, and it also goes bad because the dumbass uh, blonde guy can't. Like they don't have anybody to take care of the little girl, so he like brings her along on the job again. Again, man. Uh. Yeah, that was so. A, is the, I, I'm getting is the joke here that they are bad hitmen. No, like, they're good at they're good at being hitmen, but they're not good at being hitmen and also trying to take care of a little girl. <laughs> so they have to figure out how to do that. And so, yes, due to due to some successive failures, they kind of like the 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 uh, their handler guy is like kind of skeptical about giving them more work. So in the downtime, they're trying to figure out what to do with the little girl. They and there are no jobs. They don't do. It's just them being two dads, um, including them having to. Oh no, we're gonna have to pretend that we're uh, we're partners to get her into daycare. We're gonna have to write down the form, I guess. Um, oh, and, no. I uh, they 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 try. One of the things is they try to track down her mother, which they do, and she's kind of like comically over the top i don't want this child just to you know be clear that you know they're gonna have to take care of her Ah. and and then they're like 
well, if we got to take care of this kid, we, we got to put her in a... So she's only supposed to be four, I guess, which is like just barely before you're starting school age, depending on like when you're born and everything. But mm-hmm. th- basically, they're like, we got to put her in a daycare. So they have to like apply for daycare, but then they have to like falsify their records, like I said, to look like they're they're uh, basically a married couple. And um, it, it's actually kind of fun. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, once you take and again, at this point, the the fact that they're hitmen is totally irrelevant to the episode three and four. Like you could literally, they could be literally doing any other job. It does not come up really at all. Other than um, there's a couple jokes where uh, the little girl mentions that they're, they do bad stuff for a living or something and they have to like try <laughs> to cover it up. But like, other than that, like it almost feels like somebody wanted to make a show about two gay dads. And like, I felt like this is the only way that they could make it get made or something. I, I, I don't yeah, know. I, I feel like PA works shows tend to have a fairly high floor, right? Like that studio is pretty competent at, at doing the basic nuts and bolts of putting a show together. And so I, I, I feel like, I mean, watch me eat my words in subsequent seasons, but I feel like there tends to be a fairly reliable baseline level of quality you can expect from that studio, right? Yeah, I, I would I would definitely agree with the characterization that PA Works is competent, um, but I would not necessarily call... <laughs> this is weird. I would, say, I would say they are competent, but not reliable. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it, I, I, think, I think maybe not reliable in the sense that they more they they succeed just as many times as they fail or maybe not even uh, at like living up to the expectations competent but not consistent perhaps yeah maybe because like i mean i don't know man like <laughs> apari ranman weighs heavily on the mind anytime yes. pa works comes <laughs> up <laughs> and that, that was a sh- but uh yeah yeah i based on the way you've d- described buddy daddies at least the subsequent episodes that i don't think any of us have watched um I think, you know, it's unfair because obviously different people worked on them. But I, I keep thinking back to why why does Akiba Made War succeed? And I think it is because mm-hmm. it fully embraces the Yakuza crime thriller, like, vibe and aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, and that's what makes the joke work because of that intentional contrast. Whereas, like, here in Buddy Daddies, like, I feel like... I feel like the Hitman angle could work if you leaned really... Like, because I mean, okay. Imagine this exact same premise, but replace these two dudes with Agent 47. Right, exactly. Yeah. And you have the and, comedy of, like... Yeah, and that's... Go ahead, Iroh. Yeah, yeah. then you have, like, the com- the com- you can Then you can milk the comedy of, like, yes, I'm Hitman with baby... Yes, right. the comically <laughs> right. serious Agent 47. Agent 47 yeah. with, a, with, a, with a child would be hilarious, right? Exactly. I mean, like, Agent, Agent 47 is, is, like, the archetypical example of when playing it deadpan straight is way funnier than, like, totally. making an obvious joke of it. Yeah. And in this show, it's like, yeah, these are just two normal nice guys that happen to murder people for a living. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, and it's like, and they even introduce, I think, I think in episode two, you guys saw toward the end where they start to introduce that there's apparently a real bad hitman who probably uh-huh. is Agent 47. Yeah. 
uh, you know, it, as if he was doing anything different than what they're doing. But right, right. no, uh, but he's mean. But he's mean, <laughs> that, I guess. Um, so yeah, and, and again, it's like the when they're doing the the two dads taking care of a little girl and trying to figure that stuff out, and and especially I think in episode three and four when they settle into it, it's actually pretty fun. Like, and I. I even think I like how they they do a good job of depicting how um how should I put this exhausting children are <laughs> <laughs> right just be just like needing constant attention and and like I feel like that doesn't always like th- this girl is not like particularly precocious like she is kind of sometimes she is but for the most part she's like what most people consider an annoying child where which is how most children are where they need you know they always want you to be playing a game with them or they always need something from you uh-huh. like which you know um that's why a lot of people don't have kids uh but <laughs> <laughs> but uh that is very accurate if you have children that's how they are and and i and having you know these two guys try to figure out how to deal with that is kind of a a, a fun you know dad anime type sure. of premise I guess the problem is like if you can literally just cut fifty percent of your show and it's and you're better off for it, then right. maybe you're. It's not a good have, look. Do you have a good show? Like you know, yeah. so because I know, I mean, these two episodes were fun because we didn't have any of the Hitman stuff, and I know you know they have to get back to it. So like you know, next episode I'm sure they'll get another job, and it you know, it seems like a lot of PA Works recent shows have have taken the pattern of story about one thing but with the trappings of another thing like you know your boy kong ming was idol story but what if also kong ming was there and then (laughs) you know like akiba made war was but yeah yeah and akiba made war was like you know yakuza drama but what if they were made and uh, like akiba made war works because it is sufficiently like completely unhinged that the the smattering of the second flavor is is enough to make the first flavor genuinely unique and it just sounds like that that isn't the case in this in this they're they're not they're not really making any effort to blend the two together for any reason it's just yeah so you know it's i'm on the fence of whether i want to watch more because i do like like the dad anime side of it but like if I, i just know next next episode they're gonna have another job and then they're they're starting to hint at like you know they're the main guys you know tragic backstories i'm like i don't care about of course that. Uh, i boy. just you can <laughs> you can tell we're getting old when we say less hitmen more yeah taking more, care of kids more, like, more two dads taking care of their little girl that's look, what I want. it's just that look the the, the two dads or like you know in many regards the oops we have to take care of a child premise as hackneyed of a comedy premise as it is like you can the thing is that like I, I think that premise is a like a baseball episode, it is a force <laughs> multiplier where right. it can bring out very interesting facets out of two characters because it is sort of the dynamic dynamic between them and then their dynamic w- dynamic with the child, right? Like, could you imagine if there was like an episode of Doro Hidoro where like Shin and Noi had to take care of a baby? Yes. Mm-hmm. That would be fantastic. Like, <laughs> you can already see the joke in your head, right? Where, like, Noi is like, what's the problem? It doesn't matter if this baby dies. I can just bring it back to life right, with my throwing magic. it around like a football or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, 
But, you know, th- I, th- I mean, that's the thing, though, G. Like, I think we were talking about in the first two episodes how we didn't like these guys didn't really have much personality or we didn't really care. I, I was right. actually starting to like them by the end of episode by the end of episode three and four. Like, okay, so we were actually spending time w- getting to know them and, you know, seeing them kind of, you know, by the end of episode four, uh, you know, there's this bit with um, the 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 meaner guy, the the dark haired one. I, I don't know. Their names. Yeah, the, the gamer. Ray, Ray, I think. Yeah, the the one that's further away from being a wanting to be a dad, let's say. And by by the end of uh, you know episode four, there's this bit where he he lo- he accidentally loses the little girl at the playground, and she's talking to the police, and the police are like, "Well, I guess we'll just have to t- bring her in and and you know take her into custody." You know, to, and he's you know they they were already like trying to find some way to get rid of her, even though they don't really want to, and they, and he's like on the fence. You know, should I just let them ah, the police sure. take her, and she'll mm-hmm. be taken care of, and then we'll be done with it, and. And she's like, no, I don't want to go. And, 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 and he can't take it uh-huh, anymore. Uh-huh. And he like uh-huh. triumphantly comes out from behind the tree. And he's like, they're like, oh, are you her, you know, uncle or something? He's like, no, I'm her papa. And you're like, uh-huh. and it's like, <laughs> of course, it's right. like, it's like really, it's like really dumb and easy. But also I'm like, yeah, this is pretty good. I, I like it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe sometimes the obvious path is the correct one. Yeah. But again, this all could have been done some way without the Hitman premise. Like, so so I guess, I guess, yes. Then the real test of this show is probably just going to be, can it find a way to balance its two halves in a way that make them feel, Yeah, I don't know, workable, entertaining. And, <laughs> and I, I, and I don't have a lot of confidence in that. For me, it's like, I think it's going to be, is there enough dad anime here to keep it entertaining for me? Is basically right, what it's right. going to come down to. So I'll give it like another episode. We'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, at least the last two I enjoyed. All right. Okay. Let's talk about what's left of Nier Automata version 1.1a. <laughs> yeah, it's time for us to get into our, our final thoughts on Nier Automata <laughs> yeah. version 1.1a. So, I'm looking forward to the premiere of 1.2 at some point in the yeah. near future. Mm-hmm. So for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, um, after episode 3, this is one of the shows they announced will be indefinitely delayed due to COVID. So we only had the one episode, and who knows you know, when we'll ever <clears throat> see another one. Um... But the one episode we did get was, uh, you know, the the 2B and 9S go to the desert, right? Yes. For people familiar with the game. Uh, we're hanging out with Jackass, mm-hmm. uh, which um, is fun. Again, you know, I like how they're adapting those bits of, like, kind of... I feel like we're seeing a broader perspective, like, from the Resistance and... Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels like like I, I know this is really vague but in a lot of those scenes it feels like a near automata anime and not like a game if that makes sense yeah and yeah i i think part of that is that you know the structure of the game is so brutally mechanical it's go here do this go here do this. like there's not much of an attempt to kind of soften the the basic flow of the game and that's clearly a deliberate creative choice but um but adding a little bit of you know narrative gristle in there does does kind of make the experience go down a little smoother in in this format and i think they've done better than i expected at that stuff that's that's definitely kind of how i've been feeling about the anime so far is 
is pleasantly surprised by how they are handling it. You know, I think, again, we, you know, I, I'm sure it's written somewhere how we feel about the Persona anime. You know, <laughs> like, it, often these types of projects fall flat on their face. And it has been fun. And I think a big aspect of it, right, is like, you know, I'm not ready to go full, uh, you know, rebuild movies conspiracy theory on, on Mirror Automata yet, but I have been enjoying the, like, intentional but subtle ways in which the anime differs from the game, right? Like, uh, yeah. like yeah, Jackass we- doesn't accompany uh, a 2B and 9S to the desert, right? Um, you know, I will say that it- there's one particular creative choice which I thought was interesting, which is where when they discover the... Uh, the masked and and robed desert robot tribe Mm -hmm. there's briefly a flashback to original near like a scene from the game which you know is completely defensible in context because if you haven't played that game it's just inserted to make it clear that these robots are mimicking an existing civilization right but Mm -hmm. it's an interesting creative choice nevertheless well it's it's really interesting to me because like you know the implication is that 9s is viewing the memory of of the robot he's hacking but why why would this robot know i mean so you know it's a thing of like the implication in the games right is that the robots obviously were not around during the the events of the original near but it's more like they they found remnants and echoes of that civilization yeah like they they are needed imperfectly yeah yeah they're they're dressing up in the same way that a small child would like dress up as a fireman or a police officer or totally and and the intention of the game right is sort of more like ah the tragedy of the machine life forms is that they copy that which they do not understand right but it's kind of i mean it's, it's sort of the interesting thing in the anime of like i mean it could just it could simply be a narrative tool or the implication that the machine lifeforms have some actual more in-depth awareness of the world that preceded Automata. Right. I mean, I, interesting I, meat to work with there. <laughs> I, I, I would also say that even in the game, like I, I didn't necessarily see it as just kind of like a, a like pitying aspect of the machines, but it's also indicative of their want to evolve into a society. You know, they they are playing dress up with the remnants of a civilization because they want to be a civilization you know right. and so they are mm-hmm. and like the whole point of near automata is that as we go through the game we see various robots mimicking various aspects of civilization and none of them you know there's the bit where they're all into religion there's the bit where they're into monarchy there's the bit where they're into you know uh, throwing yourself off of very tall buildings but um <laughs> you know and and i think I think what the anime will have to do is perhaps um, show us show us a bit more of that stuff. Because the thing is, at the moment, the anime has been largely successful on a mechanical level. That is, it's shown us the things and the people, and you know, we have gone to the places and seen the sights the and heard the music. It's played the good music, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think for an anime to be really like capturing the spirit of Nia, it will at least have to on some level engage with some of those questions. And the games do that by making you, you know, witness or participant in right. the things that are happening. Here participant right. is not really an option, so you have to flesh in the witness side I, of it. And I I think that's what that flashback to original Nia was intended to do. 
Iro, did you want to add anything? No. Um, How are you feeling yeah, I mean, on this? On episode I'm, three? Yeah, I'm curious how to how they'll pan things out. I mean, obviously we won't see anything for a long time at this point. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, this is all. And yeah, like, the differences are interesting, but also, like, they are fair com- comparatively minor. Right. So... It, it is right. stuff. It, there are things that could have happened, right? Like, right. It could, it could have happened. Other than like right. name changes and such. But um, right. I mean, I I would say that probably, and Iro, you might disagree with this, but I I would say that probably the most significant change is the presence of the um, what's the name of the L- rebel Lily. leader character? Yeah, right. Whose role in the game was filled filled by somebody named an enemy, which is just a, a different type of flower. Who so. does show up briefly? Um, right. And there episode. are does when when like, does she show up? Uh, she I briefly don't... talks to she briefly talks to Lily at the camp, doesn't that she? That was Jackass. Oh, is that Jackass? Sorry, yeah. I mean, so that is sort of the. Th- I mean, again, I, in some ways, I kind of see Lily's role in this show. Like, you know, look, well, we we all we've all made our, our 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 feelings pretty apparent on characters like Marie in in Persona Four, but like, I think in a lot of ways, Lily is sort of going to be an interesting like, I don't well, know, canary in the coal mine of like. I feel like that character is 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 upon which whatever changes happen to the anime will hinge upon. Right? Well, Iro, didn't you say that Lily is an existing character in the fiction? Uh, I, I mentioned you told it in the me, last. Yeah. Po- yeah. yeah, so so I I mentioned in the last podcast that Lily is a character from the Yorha stage play, right? Right, and that an enemy is also there, right? And and then and, and, and bleh, her name, I always struggle with it. Anemone, yes, both Anemone and Lily were present along with A two during the uh, the Yorha operation that Hawaii breaks A two spirit yeah. and makes her defect from Yorha. Right, and in the original play, uh, it is Lily's death that triggers A 2s decision to defect from Yorha. So. That is why I think it is interesting that she is the one who is alive in the anime, whereas Anemone is nowhere to be found. So I guess is the implication is she died in Lily's stead in this, I don't even know what to call well, it, timeline version of events. There's there's also the possibility that simply to have A2 involved in the story earlier, they have moved that segment of narrative to be concurrent with the early part of the game. You know, I think that would be a generally smart and economical creative decision as well. So it's hard to say. We don't right. know. Right. We don't and know like, if this is a significant change yeah. or if it's just narrative um, right. efficiency. And like Near Automata original plot already deals in some amount of like, this is a cycle that has repeated many times. And also the wider Dragon Guard Near series has toyed with like alternate realities, alternate timelines that are not, necessarily even related to the right. Right. proverbial yeah. endless cycle is an alternate timeline to dragon guard right basically, right so I, I i still like i still think there's a high possibility that the anime makes some kind of major diversion right at some point. i'm like is this just like is this a show going to end with a chord from dragon guard 3 walking on screen and saying <laughs> well this timeline sucked get rid of that one i mean right to be honest like i think I think so far this show has been good and efficient and, you know, a solid adaptation. But honestly, I I don't think it will justify its existence unless it does something like that. I think right. we need a new perspective. We need some sort of 
meta twist, not just for the sake mm-hmm. of it, but also because the whole point of the near franchise is, you know, kind of to to kind of upend expectations about linear storytelling. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Particularly I with that... this series in general, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. that's that's why I, if any if any game adaptation is gonna do something weird or off go off track, like this is the one, right? Yeah. 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 And so I hope that they would be brave enough to do that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we'll find out in six I, months. Yeah. Generously, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I do want to uh, just to pump the brakes a little bit on, you know, I guess the quality of the adaptation. I still think this is going to be near incomprehensible for anybody that didn't play the game. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Ar- I don't know if Artemis has kept watching or not, but I would yeah. be really interested to hear what she has to say. I mean. All the criticism, all the critique we've just made, has been incomprehensible to anybody who has not played well, the yeah, game yeah. as well. You know, and, it's kind and of like uh, like you might you might get the general gist of like, mm-hmm. oh, 9S is killing these robots, even as they're saying, "I'm scared, don't kill me" or whatever. Like you might kind of get the the general gist of the themes and stuff there, but I don't feel like it's going to have, you know, the same impact. Really, like, none of it's going to have the same impact because right. you know, Nero relies so heavily on you. Be like Zig said earlier you being like an active participant right like mm-hmm. it, right i mean it means a lot more when you're the one murdering the robots that are saying please don't kill me to, to me the, to me like the acid test of this will be what they do with uh i, I will what i will obliquely call the pascal choice um <laughs> yeah. i think well, god that will be that's a long time from yeah, now yeah, but, but like to me like that is the primary example of the player's agency being a critical yeah. mm-hmm. kind of and, part of the experience and and again anytime that they do recreate things so like in episode three we did get the infamous like robot orgy and birth of uh, adam and eve right I, I will note that the Crunchyroll translation correctly changed their translation to this cannot continue this time around yes so. but um i feel like that does not have nearly as much impact in the anime as it as it does when you're yeah, playing it and, and that comes up in the game. And that's one of those difficult things of like it's it's kind of the pacing issue you run into between interactive media and non-interactive right. media, right? Yeah. I think all of us who played near Automata, the first Adam fight in your brain, it feels like it takes like what, like ten minutes? Or, or it feels like it feels like a lengthy fight, right? Because you keep there's killing a fair him amount and he keeps of, leveling up. Yeah, and there's a fair amount of exposition happening during the fight. Right. Yeah. Whereas like even, in the anime like, even like when you first walk up to that scene of all the robots trying to have sex, uh, it's like really disturbing and creepy and everything. And I feel like, you know, like, and I don't know how they, I don't know how they would do that differently in the anime. I mean, there's also the fact that at that point you have been playing that game for maybe three or four hours, as opposed to the show where you have spent maybe like half an hour to 20 minutes Mm -hmm. with these robots. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, the, because because of the, the the constraints of the medium, I don't know what you would do that differently for there. That it just, I guess it keeps falling back on the. I, I I don't I don't I couldn't see somebody not that didn't play the game like really enjoying this. <laughs> for what it's worth, I thought that scene was like nicely directed, framed, and animated. You know, I yeah, think like it, it, it recreated punch. the scene, and like yeah. for people for those of us who played the game, like we know what was going on there and why that was, you know, had impact, but it was just, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine somebody never playing the game and watching this and like enjoying it. I don't know. Right. Well, if so. nothing else, we at least have the post credit, uh, puppet shows. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that those was have all been really good. Fun. And I, I saw <laughs> earlier 
Yes, I, I was going to bring this a up. New ED or something, Ira? Were we going to mention that? Yeah, like they're going to put out a music video for the the full version of of the ED song, which is going to be like a fifteen minute long puppet show. Oh God! Huh. But but like, <laughs> like, it's, like it's like uh, directed by Yoko Taro. Yeah, or something, right? Yoko Taro yeah. will do anything for money. Uh, <laughs> like like, the, like the show, showing like the peril of the endless war of the machine life forms or something like that. Right. The, the little clip looked pretty amazing. Uh, that's out right now. But yeah. yeah. I will say that, like, just to kind of wrap up this discussion, I kind of feel that it's a shame that it is having to go on hiatus because it has built a little momentum, you know, even among those of us who are fans of the game and were decidedly sceptical about yeah. the animation, you know, it, it has built some legitimate intrigue and now kind of it's going to lose all that momentum as it as it kind of spends a, however long it is adrift. So that's a shame, you know, yeah. I hope that yeah. they, mm-hmm. I hope that they manage to keep their creative vision together. I, I hope it comes back before next season when we'll have other things to watch. And yeah, yeah. I can't talk about Wordy Wing. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> let's talk about High Card. High Card. Have you guys kept up with this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what are we? Mm-hmm. We're up to episode three. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I described as possibly the dumbest thing I've watched in uh, a uh-huh. long time. Man. High card is a bit of a roller coaster because mm-hmm. episode one, I was like, okay, I could see this working. Episode two, I was like, all right, I'm pretty sold on this. And then episode three, I'm like, mm, I'm not so sure about this. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty much where I was as well. You know, I think the major problem with episode three is that the character they introduced is, ju- is just an asshole. It I sucks. This, this archetype yeah. sucks in every anime they appear in. It, it's never good unless the show has the, the wherewithal to yeah. occasionally dunk on that character. Poor little rich boy. How we're meant right. to feel sorry for him, you know. Like, God. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they take out the cool Freaking fire punk. lady. Yeah. yeah. I know, right? Like, also, like, okay. yeah, the... The names of the powers are way more fun than the actual powers. Powers yes. at this point. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. That the pow- I, I will say that turning like a briefcase of cash into a bazooka literally was quite funny. But um... okay, there was definitely something else I've watched with that power, and I could not remember for the life of me. I don't know if you guys remember or if it was something I just watched, but it was something where somebody could literally transform the amount of money into an object that was of that value of money. And I can't remember. The Doesn't only thing I, really I, I can think strange. of that's like remotely similar is there was that one buddy cop show with a really rich guy. Yeah, but he, he that wasn't like a that wasn't like a superpower. That was just he just had a lot of money. Show, he was just was rich. <laughs> yeah, there there was some show I watched and I can't remember for the life of me because mm. it was probably it was probably some it was probably some pretty boy show like this to be honest. Where but it, and I only watched the first episode and so it was the exact same power of right you know, equivalent exchange with your dollars for some, you know, mm-hmm. See, item you want. The thing that really, I think, bothers me about that third episode of High Card is, like, I mean, yes, first of all, it's that we are introducing a very unlikable, like, character archetype to an ensemble cast. But also, yeah. even the use of their power is less interesting than the potential it represents. Right, right? he just gets, like, a bazooka or something, right? Like, like, yeah, <laughs> sure, okay, a bazooka is kind of funny, but it's also, like, if we're talking about, like, your your comically, fi- you know, comically rich fictional billionaire kid, like, right. 
I want to see really creative uses of like, you know, okay, this is a weird pull. You guys remember how in Yakuza 0, at the end of mm-hmm. every chapter, it would tell you how much yen you made? Right, yes. And then break it down into a and then it was like, specific statistic. Right, and then it was like 75,000 Ferraris or something. Right. right. Like, you made the equivalent of 16 grand pianos. Right. And yeah. that's, that's the thing. Like, to have somebody in a show be rich and funny, they have to be so rich it is beyond, exactly. like, Exactly. Like, yeah. again, if instead of summoning a bazooka, what if he had summoned... 16 grand pianos. <laughs> like, yeah. right. What if he is like, what if he, he is like wiping his mouth after eating with the Mona Lisa or something right, like that? Right, exactly. <laughs> like, and, and I think, again, it's just like that's the constant, I think, unfortunate trap that High Card keeps falling into is like, you know, look, everybody wants to be JoJo, but not everybody can be JoJo. <laughs> not everybody's yeah. that creative. Oh, I mean, at this, at this point, the. Uh... <laughs> At this point, the guy with the marbles is sort of the outlier, right? Yeah, Everybody that's the thing. Had... Like, Marble Dude was cool, but off that, we've had Dude with a gun, Dude who has like regenerative powers, Dude who has stone skin. Like, these are fairly mid to low tier ideas. Like, it annoys me because I actually think there are some fun ways you could play with those powers, right? Like the dude who <laughs> yeah. regenerates, he specifically says it like requires calories, right? And so I want a scene in this show where like. He's like, oh shit, like, I'm really super hungry. I had to dig into my emergency stash. And I want him to, like, open up his glove compartment, and there's just a jar full of lard or something. You know? <laughs> and he just 20, has to, like, 20 hamburgers or something. Right. Like that. And he just has to, like, ungainfully, grossly shove it in his mouth because, like, well, this is the, the fastest way to get some calories right, in yes. or something, you know? Like, that's the kind of, like, kooky. Or, like, he's, he's injecting adrenaline straight into his heart or something <laughs> like that, you know? <laughs> But like right, that's the, like, that's the level of silliness that you kind of need to maintain, you know. Yes. And it's it's difficult because you know, as JoJo proves, like if you embrace this style of storytelling, <laughs> it's an arms race, and you can only get like stupider and stupider. Yeah. And, like that's difficult, but like the silly goofiness is the only real thing that the show has going for it at the moment, and that's not nothing. Like I've enjoyed that a lot, but this episode kind of revealed that it can be a little hollow underneath. I yeah. think for me, my eventually how I'm going to fall on high card is will the spirit of the show live up to the spirit of the ED? Right. Yes, we have been saying that. You mean the ending where they all get in the car and sing Sublime's What I Got? Yeah, yeah, basically, right? Because it's like, that's kind of the dynamic I want with this ensemble yes. cast, mm-hmm. right? A bunch of goofballs, you know, doing dumb but fun mundane shit, right? Like that, I feel like... I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm definitely not feeling it from this ensemble right now. No, right, they're, right now they're falling into the like still doing like Carrollton introduce one character an episode, right? And so it's like I really need to see this cast of like misfits I mean, I'm, come together within I'm the not next super episodes. infused by the girls' gimmick being you know oh I'm prim and proper but actually I'm crazy. Oh, I don't you know. know that, nothing uh, wrong. Nothing wrong with a girl who has a yes, sick load, so. if you yes, ask me, you know. but. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let the parade of problematic waifus continue. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like the the characters are falling into the pretty boy anime stereotypes more so than lovable, uh, you know, whatever. But, lovable dirtbags. And uh, <laughs> just to, to the point of like the powers being lame. I think the thing that finally made me realize what we're dealing with is like, y- yes, it's very funny. The main guy's power is gun. I always find that hilarious. 
But when I saw he had to reload it, I'm like, really? It doesn't even reload itself. So, like, That's why it's a shitty power, man. <laughs> Honestly, like... that almost that that sold me on the power more than anything else. <laughs> like the you idea have, you get unlimited bullets, but you have to put them in yourself. <laughs> you still have to reload it by hand. Yeah. So the, the thing mm-hmm. is, though, like the reason why, like. Uh, whole horse's power in Jojo being a gun is funny is because all the other powers are like so much crazier and more imaginative and here like if it's just your power is a gun but some other guy's power is just like oh he can like yeah like he can just do something else similarly mundane I guess I guess he also gets some kind of like aim assist or something right or i don't remember it doesn't but... even give him a speed loader or no he gets no bullet drop off like <laughs> oh right like one, yeah which is like one of those like if you if you play like a really bad looter game and they have the like you know like i i, I want to say cyberpunk 2077 did this <laughs> where like the what like the you you equip a new thing and it's like you get 0.2 percent uh you know, <laughs> yeah like, aim, aim or something. Sway, yeah uh, you're just like, <laughs> like oh, yeah this thanks. makes no no really? difference into how I'm playing whatsoever. Yeah. 0.3% reduced recoil or something. I'm like, yeah, this is not helping me at all, guys. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I, I think, like, the overall thing is that this latest episode really threw doubt on their ability to keep it, like, as fun and frothy as it needs to be. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that, um, because, again, you know, just the character is incredibly unlikable. Like rich boy with daddy issues is kind of like one of the most tiresome cliches out there. Yeah. And I don't know, like just, I don't particularly like any of the characters yet. It's just sort of been surfing on a wave of silliness and, and you know, when that wave subsides, I'm not sure that there's anything left there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I would agree. And if they're not being, you know, wild and crazy enough, like what are we what are we here for <laughs> so well we'll give it another episode yeah see how it goes all right let's finish by talking about trigun stampede well mm-hmm. speaking of a show that could stand to also be maybe wilder and crazier yeah <laughs> speaking of a show that <laughs> you brought up rebuild of evangelion earlier and yep. now i'm sideline side-eyeing trigun stampede how are you feeling about it, Iroh? Because I think you were higher on this than... I'm just like, this is okay. Okay. I think it looks good, right? It's like, I... Like, hard yeah. to dispute that. Yeah, I'm like, oh, this looks good. It's, I'm having I'm having enough fun, and I'm like, well, this, this, this is here. What, what is your opinion <laughs> of the creative choices they've made in the past two episodes as far as uh, revealing uh... things... Like, can we? Arti- I've not seen the the episodes past the first one, so like, in in a second, like, what are these creative choices? So, is it alright if I take this one just because I'm familiar with the source material? By all means. Which, um, so the anime, uh, uh, Stampede, sort of makes the decision the decision to kind of. I mean, the only way I can put this is, it kind of decides to speed run a lot of the major plot points of Trigun in. Has what feels like as short of a span as possible. So, like, so we're not getting like wacky mobster of the week. Stuff. No, not really. We, well, well, we get one. We get the we get the Nebraska family, the uh, the kooky old man scientist and his big lunk right. bondage yeah. cyborg, uh, a yeah. goon son. But um, immediately after that, uh, I mean, knives makes his first appearance. 
he right. I mean, he was in town. that first episode briefly. Yeah, and no, and but he, he literally he shows personally up. attacks the town that Vash. He, he personally attacks Vash. Sure. Um, and we are introduced to members of the Gung Ho Guns right out the gate. What Legato right. and all those guys? Not Legato, I think, actually notably enough, but okay. a few of the other members make their appearance in like episode three, and um, you know, Knives and Vash have their confrontation, which you know. Knives walks away to Victor, and sure, yeah, it's just oh, it's just um, and then you know, episode four, uh, the most recent one introduces Wolfwood, and in the same episode, also reveals, I mean, you know, not really a twist anymore that Wolfwood is a double agent, uh, working for uh, Knives, and it's it just feels like a lot to cram into it. it I, I don't know. For I me mean, personally, so, it just feels like the show doesn't have time to breathe. I guess, like we're we're just going from one plot reveal to the next, just like you know. So in, let in me play devil's advocate here for a bit, which is: it seems clear that the purpose of this reboot, reimagining, whatever you call it, is to focus much more closely on the interpersonal relationship between Vash and Knives. Right? I don't think that's a controversial statement to make. That that's kind of its focus. It seems um, so, yes. And and so, you know, I think on that level, it makes a certain amount of sense to kind of cut to the quick and get to the knives and knives adjacent. Because, like, you know, I think there's a reasonable argument to be made that all of the stuff about the gung-ho guns, Legato, Wolfwood, all of that stuff is directly or indirectly about the knives-rash relationship. Um, I think, like, hearing you say that, my concern is that, like, and again, I've not read Trigun. I've only watched the original anime, what, 1998? The 1998 anime. Something like that. Um, and a huge amount of the character of that show was in like the weird one-off like villain of the week stuff. And I understand it's that way because at that time the manga was nowhere near completion and so you had to fill out a show with all of that stuff. But... I, I think hearing you say that is like, oh, are we just kind of leaving like the development of this world and like the building of the relationship between these characters sort of on the floor, so to speak? Yeah, it, it is sort of my fear, I guess, is is what I would say is I it, like it's true that like, yes, OK, the, the original anime has filler. I mean, hell, even the manga has quote unquote filler in terms of like villain of the week, like chapters. But I, I think I mean, as I've gotten older, I've really come to appreciate that stuff as like texture in in yeah. a story. I mean, I would argue that the maybe three quarters of the original anime is quote unquote filler in the strictest possible sense. Right. But but it is charming and it's interesting and it does build the relationship between you know Vash and Millie and all those characters. Uh, Who's there, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it helps us get to know, like, Wolfwood and all that kind of stuff. So that um, when eventually Knives does show up, it feels like a more fleshed out world that they're operating in. Right. You know, and I guess, and again, this is just me registering my concerns about what you've said, but it does kind of feel like this might be one of those reboots where they just assume that you're familiar with the source material. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So, if I could, so you guys have all at least seen the anime, right? The, the original. I've seen. Yes. I saw the original anime a very long time ago. 
Yeah. So I guess I want to clarify because I, I, on last episode, I think it sounded like I had actually seen the anime. I've, I, I saw like a couple episodes randomly on TV out of context. Like I have not, I'm not familiar with this, with Trigun okay. that much. I have but no you, horse. I have no horse in this race. Right. <laughs> you are of the generation that is sort of familiar with it as the wallpaper. I, yeah. Of I've, yes, that, I, like of like I've picked Western up a little anime. bit from right. from cultural osmosis. I, I know that I, I know that taking out the big lady with the big gun and replacing her with generic old reporter guy seems like a stupid idea. But aside from that, like I I don't have any like emotional <laughs> attachment to this franchise at all. And sure. So watching it from that perspective, I'm coming away like. It's very visually impressive and well done, but beyond that, it just feels like a regular like action movie plot. Like I, I don't feel like I'm getting anything aside from the art because the character I like the character designs, I like the aesthetics, but Hmm. like the actual like plot and characters and everything don't feel that interesting to me. Like. It feels like a, just like a generic action movie type of plot to me. Like I mean, when, there's like when we yeah, got you know, when we got to so like when we got to like episode three mm-hmm. and and knives shows up and it's like this big dramatic moment. They're playing like the the orchestra music in the background mm-hmm. and like and I'm like I yeah I don't really like I haven't had enough time to care <laughs> like it's right. supposed to be like a big like you know, impact moment or whatever. And like, we haven't had any sort of, it's sort of relying on you knowing who millions knives is from before and going, Oh shit. Millions knives is here. Yeah. Yeah. And and from my perspective, it's like, okay, well I guess this is brother. So that sucks. But like, and he seems like a bad dude. Killed and a bunch sucks of to have that a brother sucks. with bad vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so and, like, and before, before, like, because I'm sure Iro and G have, you know, more lengthy repasts. But I will say that I think part of that is that you know we are seeing uh, a show, you know, or rather, you gel with fresh eyes are seeing a show that has that is based on a story that is 25 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, that was itself a pastiche of eighties and nineties action movies. <laughs> yes. To a great right. extent, you know? <laughs> I mean, that, so that's it's the thing, sort like, of a pastiche I, of a pastiche. At this yeah, point. and I and I can see how like maybe Vash's character would have been a lot more um, different and interesting like twenty five years ago, but like maybe not so much now. I don't know, but like because his whole like I have a gun but I don't kill people thing, right? But yeah, I, I don't know. The, the The presentation just feels a lot like it's supposed to be like a, a big action movie thing. Like, it feels very Hollywood, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't want to keep saying Marvel movie or whatever, but like, that's what it feels like to me. I do have to keep reminding myself the show's not on Netflix. Yes, it feels <laughs> like a, a prestige Netflix. I mean, that production. OP is some exactly. Real, uh... Yeah, it's like, and when I when I when I hear things like you know, again going back to swapping out Millie and making um. Merrill reporter like that's a much more conventional action movie setup than what they had in the original um you know those kinds mm-hmm. of things feel like they're smoothing you know smoothing out the edges or whatever and like I, right. that's that's what it feels like to me and is it is it still good yeah i mean it's it's fun to watch like i'd like a good 
action movie every now and then but like I, I don't feel like any real attachment to it like i'm not like super i'm like man i can't wait to watch trigun this week i'm like all right yeah let, let me throw that on while i'm eating dinner right you know and yeah. i you know i can see how there's a lot more potential there though and it just i you know it's so, it feels a little disappointing to me right um I, 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 I want to give the floor to Eero because he sort of brought up something interesting about, about the anime. So I, I want to give the floor to him after I say my, my two pieces here that I'll try to keep short. Um, the first one is part of a sort of greater, uh, uh, I don't know, blog post. I feel like, I, I don't know, I'll probably just put it on co-host or something. I don't know. Just I, I, I have this like mini essay in mind that I've sort of been tossing around in my head about, about Trigun. And I guess... The TLDR of it is that I think that in a lot of ways, you know, I, I have to invoke death of the author a bit here, and that even if like Trigun probably eventually settles on that Vash and Knives are meant to be sort of ultimate, like the ultimate fated rivals of each other, that I would actually argue that much of the text of Trigun is that legato and wolfwood are actually vash's true ideological nemeses and that it's that relationship that he holds with those two individuals that kind of gets really into the core of what makes vash an interesting character and i guess i really hope that the anime perhaps finds the time to get into some of that um and the other thing, the other thing I want to notice is probably just petty. It's it's such a minor like nitpick, but like it is a thing that like maybe is indicative of like what kind of gets me a little bit about Stampede storytelling is that in episode four they reveal that uh, the old reporter Roberto De Niro uh, owns a firearm. In fact, he does Wait, have a gun. That dude. That dude's name is just Robert De Niro. Yes. Yes. His yes. name is Roberto De Niro. Sure. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, he reveals that he does, in fact, own a firearm. And guess what? It's a Derringer pistol. And... They took Meryl's so, guns from her. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I already go, oh, okay, I know where this is going, right? Like, he probably... I mean, he dies and she inherits his guns, right? Yeah. Yes, and it's just like... <laughs> I get it, but also you can't be cute like that with a story that's twenty years old. Like, yeah. like you can't just be like, "Hmm, isn't it curious that he has a Derringer?" Like Meryl eventually does. It's like, yes, I know, I read this in the nineties. Uh huh. And I don't know. It's 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 just a bit of a microcosm of my my fears about how Stampede is going to to tell its story, but. Mm -hmm. Uh, with that out of the way, Eero, do you want to maybe get into sort of some of the stuff you... I mean, my, like, pie-in-the-sky thoughts at this point, after you brought that up, and then, like, later in that episode, we get Knives talking to his goons, and, like, Vash's arm has the power to break through the barriers between dimensions, or something along those lines. Yeah. And you've And you've spoken at the past of how, like... We seem to be headed to July, the city of July in this show, whereas the original story begins after the July incident, right? And yes. that, like, people have ma been making semi-facetious statements that this might be a prequel. And so, to me, that was like, oh, yeah, maybe it will be. It's just like you, like, you bringing up a rebuild of Evangelion and such, of, like, because, yes, like, 
Meryl is a reporter here and, you know, does not have her Derringers, but this guy all has a Derringer and whatnot. Vash is a smaller bounty, you know. And so I'm like, is this show going to end with well, the barriers between dimensions break down and everyone loses their memories and wakes up in, you know, regular Trigun? Oh, hmm. <laughs> right. That's the... That, Mm. That <laughs> seems, yeah. The the reason I I, I brought up this I I even mentioned that or, or the reason why I think that like Eero totally has some credence here is that they never mentioned that Vash's angel arm can open up rifts in dimensions in the original anime or manga. That is entirely a new statement made only in Stampede, and it's like well. You know, Chekhov's gun dictates you mm. would not just say something like yes. that in a piece of fiction unless you intended to to make good on it eventually. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Is that does that make things better or worse? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean at, at least the at least the idea of a character you know hopping multiple dimensions and meeting themselves is pretty fresh and original and not at all played out. Oh know? yeah, definitely. You know, I mean. Uh, I mean, it does, like, I guess, deal with the criticisms involving all the things they've changed, right? Because then it's actually, because then you're looking at it as though, well, they're not actually retelling that same story. But also, did anybody ask for this? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I mean, it's just like, that's the vibe I got at that point. It's only been four episodes and only third in. So, but. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Who knows? Well, we've put the, uh, we put the theory out there. Yeah. So when it happens. It's on tape. You heard it here first. From I mean, we, we now have three open theories just floating <laughs> in the air that we have made on this podcast about various anime that. Mm-hmm have yet to be concluded because the their anime aren't done yet, right? Like, we have yeah. our Birdie Wing speculation. Yeah, right. We have, yeah, we have a, our we have a lot of speculation. Uh-huh. Yeah. And now we have our Trigun Stampede speculation. <sighs> well, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll probably still keep watching it. I, I want to catch up. It's yeah, like, I mean, it's it's... It's so well made, like I get yeah. the enjoyment from that perspective. I mean, Orange really is just like the masters of the craft at this point on on CG, but like without a doubt, yeah. I, you know, it's just but but like beyond kind of surface level fun action thing, I'm I'm not really getting much out of it at this point. So maybe you know maybe that's all we need for now, or at least from for me. All right. Uh, before we wrap up, I do just want to make one important statement, okay. uh, which was um, I was watching JoJo and I was feeling a little bit lost when rainbows started turning everybody into snails, mm-hmm. but it did teach me that racism is bad. And for that, I am eternally <laughs> grateful. Yes. Thanks, Araki. Uh, <laughs> yes. Anybody listening can go back to our last episode. Oh, we got, we had the extensive recap on what that means there's and... a reason i told you not to listen to that podcast Zig. I was like, it was worth listen. it <laughs> yeah wild bizarre times if you will uh but yes. i'm a better man today all right <laughs> 
let's let's end it there. Let's wrap things up. With our usual housekeeping. You can check us out at theglorioblog.com. Follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog, on co-host at gloriolog, or at glorio at glorio. Yes, just glorio. We we managed to secure that on co-host. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher, and of course YouTube. Or you can like, comment, subscribe, ring that notification bell. All those good things. Go, you know, tell your friends, tell your enemies, and we'll catch everybody next time. Love and peace.